You're listening to Michael Easley in Context. And now your host, Michael Easley. Welcome to In Context. Today on the broadcast, we have my friend and former colleague from the Moody Bible Institute, John Geiger. John has recently written a book, If I Could Do It All Over Again. And today on this show, it's going to be not only entertaining, not only informative, but you're going to hear from some of the individuals that John interviewed for this book. So you'll hear audio clips from our friends, as well as a conversation between John and me. Before we talk to John, let's hear a couple of clips. First of all, there's a life lesson from one of my personal heroes, Johnny Erickson Tata. I think any Bible verse that forces us Christians to think how we can keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing, I think, is best described in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, that is so, that is so the main thing. Because as the world gets further away from the Orthodox Christian faith once delivered to the saints, as the church comes up with all kinds of interpretations as to what it thinks God's love is, it is still a sin to make God in our own image. And we forget that the essence of God's love, his core plan, is to rescue sinners out of the kingdom of darkness. That means absolutely everything that happens to us, every suffering, every affliction, every hardship, disappointment in life, is meant to challenge our man-made views on the love of God. I think that's why sitting in this wheelchair, I've come to see that um, affliction is what will drive us to the end of ourselves when we see the self-pity, the spirit of complaining, uh, whining discontentment, the peevishness and sour spirit that we're made of. We are sinners. I don't care how long we've known the Lord Jesus. We are dog-nasty sinners, and suffering teaches us that the love of God is best expressed, not in removing us from suffering, but in using it to expose our wicked hearts that are so in need of redemption. Well, that's the perspective I'd like to pass on from this wheelchair of mine, keeping the main thing the main thing. Now let's listen to another friend of mine, Erwin Lutzer, who shares a favorite passage. There are many verses that I would cling to even more than when I started. I don't know why, but the first one that comes to mind is James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and does not upbraid, and it will be given to him. The reason that that's important to me is because as I go along in life, there are so many choices. And, you know, sometimes I've been counseling people on the telephone, and I need wisdom. I don't know how to navigate this situation. I don't know how to put this sermon together. It's just not coming together, and it's Saturday afternoon. And I cry up to God for wisdom. There have been times when I've been sitting at my computer writing a book, and I honestly don't know exactly what to say. And I just cry up to God and say, God, help me. This is your moment. And you know, God comes through. Now, let's talk to John Geiger himself. Welcome to the broadcast, John. Well, it's so fun to be a part of In Context in this capacity, uh, having listened before, now to be actually a part of an episode. <laughs> well, thanks for taking your time. Uh, so, first of all, You've read a lot of books online. What provoked you to write this one, John? I think it's midlife. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, you start getting questions that really start to itch. 
the questions that really start to itch um, about life, about how you've done it, things you've done with your time, haven't done with your time. I, I, I kind of began to wonder, gee, you know, I, I got a few regrets. I, I wonder if these people whose sermons I hear, whose books I read, whose songs we sing, do they have regrets? And is there stuff in their life that they would do differently if they could do it all over again? So that question led to some interviews, about 28 of them. And then that led, of course, to the book, If I Could Do It All Over Again. But honestly, it, it kind of sprung out of this question, do these people that we so look up to, do they have regrets too? Now, you narrowed down your uh, conversations to 11 key questions. That in itself had to be a challenge. Actually, it wasn't much of a challenge hmm. to narrow it down, although you could talk all day to a lot of these people, as you well know, Michael. But what was a challenge was getting some of them to open up. Some of them were fairly guarded, others just incredibly transparent. So I think the struggle was more in getting a few of them to, to open up. Well, you, you talked to a lot of them. I know you know these people. You've been an announcer for many of them. You've been a host for many of them. And I know a question like this is a bit tough, but were there one or two individuals that really stood out in the way they talked about their regrets? Yeah, there were. Um, I think Erwin Lutzer was incredibly transparent, rather humbling to share what he shared. For example, to the question, you know, what would you do more of? He says more time with family. Let's listen in to his answer. If I could do it over again, I would spend an awful lot more time investing in the lives of my children. Of course, we prayed with them and we taught them and so forth. But, you know, in retrospect, I really didn't enter into their world as I could have. One day, my daughter, my second daughter, Lynn, wrote me a letter when she was in college or about to go into college and it just, you talk about an ice bucket experience. She said, Dad, I cannot compete with your studies of Martin Luther and theology. Can you imagine that? Sure, I was studying Martin Luther and I was studying theology, but for my child to think that she couldn't compete with that, that so set me back that I began to change my priorities and realize that I was on the wrong track. If I could do it over again, investment in the lives of my children. Typically, those in their 80s, and I don't think Erwin's um, quite there yet, but it seems like the 1780 and obviously 90 decade is not an unwillingness to be transparent. That just wasn't their culture to talk yeah. about those things. Did you have a hard time deciding who you wanted to talk to? It wasn't hard. There were many more I would like to have talked mm -hmm. to, but the reason that the list is the way it is, Michael, is uh, number one, some people said no. Sure. You know, I'm not sure I would have liked to have sat down and <laughs> answer all these questions myself. You were brave enough, Michael, by the way, and I, I thank you for that. Others, just impossible to get to. Right. What were some surprises to you, generically? Surprises. I would say this. Uh, I was surprised that these people in ministry, so many of them, have regrets about uh, time with family. That was the one question, Michael, that got more of a unified response than any other. Let's hear from some of those now. This first one from Ann Graham Lotz. One of the things I would like to do over is spend more time with my children at a young age uh, and get in, more involved in their schools. So I'm and later than that, one of my things I'd like to do more of, I, I wish I had called my mother more, especially towards the end of her life. I, 
I didn't call her as much as I wish I had, and, and now I know the other side of that, you know, how you long to hear from your children, and and her life was very full, but I, I wish I had talked to her more. And now we have a clip from Tony Evans. First of all, as a, as a father, I'm certainly happy with uh, how my children are doing, but I would have even given more time to my to fathering uh, because I see where there were some gaps that I could have filled in with more um, strategic times, strategic lessons learned, and I would have probably traveled a little less. So those would be the two things. And now, Michael Card. Clearly, I would have put more time in uh, with my family. I think I was um, on the road doing, you know, 150 concerts a year. And uh, my wife homeschooled, and she gave, you know, our kids got plenty of attention. And when I was home, I mean, I would be home for two or three weeks at a time, and I sort of comforted myself by telling myself that I was still spending more time with my children than my father, who was a doctor, ever spent with me because he was gone all the time. But I still look back, and uh, my oldest son, Will, took me aside in a very non-condemning, very sweet way, said, you know, I just need to tell you this, that we really, it was hard for you to be gone so much. So I think that's one thing I would have, I would try to be, be wiser about it. I should have had more wisdom in, uh, in carving out time for them. When we look back on C.T. Studd and Hudson Taylor and some of these, you know, people that, in no small way, God used tremendously to create these global missionary works. They sacrificed their family, John. Yeah. And and so I don't know what the answer is. And you and I would have the same emotional response to, you know, we should be home with our raising our kids and, and being there as a husband, as a dad, as a father, as a, a man around the house. But yet these men and women were called abroad. They did things that were immeasurable. And yet, many of them lost their families through it. How, how do you how do you sort through that? Uh, not well, and not easily. And and nor am I uh, going to sit here on, in context and tell you or anyone, Michael, that I feel like I've struck a right balance, and that I'm pretty sure about it. Uh, I struggle with this. People asked me just yesterday, "How do you balance all that? How do you do with it?" I said, "Not well. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'm doing it well. Uh, I'm asking God. I'm asking my wife." You know, the best thing I do anymore is ask my wife, you know, should I take this or not, this speaking or this. Sometimes she'll say, no. I'll say, what do you mean? The calendar will, <laughs> no, by then, by then you're going to be involved in this and this and this. And I know the way you get, John. You're going to be uptight and it'll just be too much. <laughs> Invariably, Michael, she's right. Does that sounds exactly like what Cindy just said to me the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. And invariably I go, oh, I'm so glad that I listened to her, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, another surprise. I'll tell you what. I've got to tell you this story. Uh, Art Roheim, we were talking about him a moment ago, in his 90s, right? Here's a guy who founded a, an organization, a Bible memory club ministry. The motto is the other boy and girl for Christ. He's got evangelism in his blood. What's his big regret? Get this. Yes, regrets are people that I didn't witness to. I, I missed an amazing opportunity when I was to meet one of my heroes, of the Chicago Cubs, uh, Andy Papko. He was an all-time player, and and I, I was going to be able to take him and uh, play golf with him. And he was going to ride with me in my little cart for 18 holes. Being with that ma- amazing man, I had just so many questions for him and, and wanted to hear what his life was all about. It was thrilling to hear it. And then 
I didn't witness to him. And right after that, as he left, I was under such conviction, I said, I'm going to call him and see if I can get a date with him. And I called him, and he said, well, I'm busy right now, but maybe in a couple of months we can get together again. And the next thing I heard, he had passed away. And to me, that was a real regret. I should have witnessed and I, I was so interested in what I wanted to get from him that I really re- didn't represent God very well. Well, that, that one stings, and probably all of us have a story like that where we never got around to sharing our faith with a friend. Um, right. and, and yet not to absolve us from you know, using the day well, we also have to have common sense and say we can't do everything. Even performing, quote, for the Lord is a little bit over the top, right? Right. And, of course, you and I can't save anybody. You know that. I know that. Yet, for whatever reason, God has chosen to, to use us as part of his plans. So there are lingering questions, I think, when we, when we maybe get a little self-absorbed in our own, in our own interests. In your own story, then, okay, you, you've interviewed these 28, 9 leaders. Was there something you walked away with and said, because of what I heard consistently, I, John Giger, am going to do less, do more, uh, realign? Absolutely, yes. There's one chapter, and if I could do it all over again, that's worth the read. And frankly, it was for me. It's the book, it's the chapter, What Do We Do With Our Regrets? Um, I don't know whether it's just character flaw, weakness, or sin, but if guilt or anxiety are options for me, I reach for them, baby, every time. <laughs> I mean, it's just how I am. And so I, I have regrets, you know? I, I never did a, a walk on the wild side or anything like that, but I have my regrets. And what do we do with them? And boy, oh boy, the chapter on what do we do with our regrets was just fantastic. Answers like, we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Answers like, take them to the cross. Answers like, you know, we've got to remind ourselves. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward us that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. So verse after verse, truth after truth, just kind of washed over me. I have felt a a strengthening in my walk away from regret. Let's share some of those. First from Johnny. Well, I love to read passages in Scripture which remind me that God has a poor memory when it comes to my sin. Um, He remembers my sin no more. He separates me from my sin as far as the east is from the west, as high as the heavens are above the earth. That is what makes the good news so great. God will not remember our sins, so you know what? We shouldn't either. Okay, I really appreciate what George Verver has to say. And I read ages ago, regret is the most subtle form of self-love. So here's a guy that declared total war against self, Galatians 2.20. And so there's no room for uh, regret. Now, let's hear from Ravi Zacharias. You can't be fatalistic, but you have to think of a sovereign God at work. When you're young, you think it all has to do with you. When you get older, you realize it had much more to do with God than with you. Yes, your choices matter, but his sovereign grace. So I look upon it as something that God intended for my good and for my benefit. 
not that they were good choices, but God is able to turn them into good and make you a better person for it. It doesn't make those choices good in themselves, but it shows you how the grace of God can override those blunders. So you have to draw the peace of God that through those mistakes, as painful as they were, and as costly as some of them could be, uh, God has shaped you into the person he wanted you to be uh, through them, not just in spite of them, but through them. And I think there's an important difference in terminology there. Someone out there who's uh, got some guilt and regret, and they're thinking, oh, I don't want to read this book. I'll be depressed. <laughs> what would you tell no, them? It, How would you encourage is, them? You know what? Um, it, it's not a depressing book. It's a very uplifting book. And the the big payoff is the chapter, What Do We Do With Our Regrets? It is practical. It is biblical. And it is just wonderfully free. Uh, I say that because I, I had nothing to do with it. It's the people that we interviewed. Uh, I have nothing to do with the Scripture. That's the Word of God. It's sort of like you're using a regular hammer at home, and somebody hands you a, a one-and-a-half, two-pound maul or something. Bam! You're really driving the nails at that point. You know. <laughs> John, thanks for your time. Michael, thank you for being a part of If I Could Do It All Over Again. sure loved your stories about marriage and other things that you shared. My privilege, my friend. In Context is made possible by donations from listeners like you. If you're a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or monthly donation at michaelincontext.com? Thank you.